after ball rugby. Started off thinking I was the Brian O'Driscoll, then I worked my way down to Mike Tyndall, who just was like solid and could run through people. My coaches gave me the Bible in how to play seven. Join in the obsession. Subscribe now at offtheball.com forward slash join. The F1 pod on Off the Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula One? Yeah, we go to town on it. Yes, you are very welcome along to episode 19 of the F1 pod here on Off the Ball. Myself, Shane Handel, with you for the next 45 minutes or so as we digest the Las Vegas Grand Prix and, of course, take a look ahead to the season finale, the Abu Dhabi. Grand Prix this coming weekend. As always, the F1 pod and off the ball is brought to you by Chicago Town Pizza. Real takeout taste for less with Chicago Town. Get your questions into us. Delighted to welcome back this episode. We have Bernie Collins, the former head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula One team and the former F1 performance engineer with Red Bull Racing, Blake Hinsey. Bernie and Blake, how are things? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Keeping well, keeping well. Thanks for joining us. I figured I'd start on Blake's prediction at the end of the last episode, and I want to just remind people, so we have a short video oh. clip of Blake's prediction of the podium last week. So here is Blake Enzi's prediction of the Las Vegas Grand Prix podium. Have a look. I'm going to go. I think Max will do this one, honestly. But I think that for this type of circuit, I think Leclerc should also go quite well. Um, and then I, th- I think Czech will, will finish off the podium. I'm going pretty safe. The last time I made a prediction, I never make predictions. I hate doing it. I I, I shouldn't have said in, yes that You're I would welcome. do it. The last time I did it, I predicted the top five of of race the season. So, um, and you got it right. Yeah. Whoa. Exactly. You it's, said you hate doing them. You should love it. No, no. I I, I got to I, I save it for special occasions. So <laughs> I've obliged in this one. Blake, talk to us. You got the podium That's, exactly right. I'd love to tell you there was some data or skill or <laughs> science behind any of that. That was uh, 100% pure vibes. And and I, I feel like I'm going to have to stop there. Two for two. I'm going to buy a lottery ticket at lunchtime. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. I mean, you say there's no stats behind it, but uh, I mean, you built the argument quite well. I, I don't know if it was that substantial. I'm, I'm going to let some of the smoke out and I'm going to take away some of the mirrors. It was, it was uh, yeah. I, mean, I think everybody thought Ferrari would go quite well there, and the Red Bulls should have been quick. They didn't look too quick the entire time, but I'm sure we've got plenty more to talk about that <laughs> yeah. from the weekend. I'm, I completely forgot my predictions. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> we always do. But I said to you, you know, if we get it wrong, we just don't play the clip. If you get it right, we play the clip. So you exactly. only get the, the, positive, <laughs> the positive vibes. I love that. Bernie, uh, you're, you're back from Las Vegas. Uh, I understand it. You had a, a busy, busy time of it. You were doing some MCing as well over there. You were busy. Yeah, it was um, a different experience for me, Vegas, because I didn't do it for Sky. Um, I did it sort of some corporate work out there. Mm. Um, and yeah, very different um, vibe. It's different to go to a new track anyway. You're not quite sure how things are going to work out. You're not quite sure how the logistics are going to be. And then it's like this massive time zone swing and then a very offset schedule and then doing a different role. So it just felt like I was a bit lost the entire weekend. <laughs> I guess the the whole build up was was drowned out by the the celebrities, the the noise, the music, the fanfare. Max Verstappen not a fan of it whatsoever. Like when you're over there, was it enjoyable? Like the drone shows and all the rest, and the side shows, or, or was it just a bit of a, I guess something that that the real fans can ignore. I think the like build up and the hype around it was really good actually. The things that so I sort of got in a bit apprehensive, wasn't sure how it was going to go. A new track 
it's always difficult. A new street track is particularly difficult because the logistics of moving the people around, the fans around and all those sorts of things and road closures and stuff. And actually, I was really impressed when I got there um, when my jet lag woke me up at like 5 a.m. and I went for a walk around the track in sort of really early morning Vegas. I was surprised at like how many security were on there directing people, how smoothly people were moving, how smoothly cars were moving. Yes, there's obviously a load of issues on Friday through the run-in, but um, actually as a setup, as an event that seemed to be working quite well, I think the pity of it was, you know, honestly, I think they charged too much for the tickets. So a lot of the grandstands weren't that busy from what I could see. Mm. A lot of the people either, you know, my flight out, I got on a, a direct flight out from London. I never traveled that late. You know, I was traveling on a Wednesday. Most of the teams would have gone Monday or Tuesday. Mm. So I was traveling Wednesday. It was just a full party flight. Like everyone was going to the Grand Prix. It was just like, <laughs> it was just chaos, you know, from the minute that you got on the flight, you realized this was, you weren't going to get a lot of sleeping done. Um, but it, speaking of some of the fans that were going then, like even at that stage, because FP1 was at 8.30 in, in Vegas and like FP2 was meant to be at like 11 or 12, I think, um, 12 maybe. So a lot of people had already decided they weren't going to go to P2 because it was too late. Mm. So like even the people that were on the ground were saying, right, we're going to go to P1 because it's the 8.30 session. We're not going to bother going to P2 because that's like midnight. So we'll be in a casino or whatever at that time. So it was really weird, the offset hours bit from a fan point of view that there was people were already planning just to be at P1 and not at the later session. Um mm. So, yeah, there was a few things that were all, but like all the celebrity and stuff, you know, it really created a hype. Mm -hmm. um, because of my location, I didn't actually get to see a lot of the grid, but I heard it was chaos. And listening to the team radio, I heard one team tell their driver that they might have to delay the start because they couldn't get the grid clear, Jeez. which is just different level of hype, isn't it? That just doesn't happen. And and like even um, Blake, you saw the comments from from Max during the week he says for me you can skip all these things it's not about the singer it's just standing up there you look like a clown 99% show and 1% sporting event I think he maybe came around a little bit towards the end of the week and, and some other drivers spoke quite positively about the whole thing said look it's Las Vegas we understand that, that it's going to happen here I guess yeah and I think what the interesting thing was is one of the press conferences as well he you know more than a, a, a 10 second clip of do you like it or not he was like let me tell you why I don't like it and I thought that was that was very thoughtful and I think it makes sense as a racing driver, your perspective is focusing on the sporting aspect of it in the race. And at the same time, Max's concerns, if I'm paraphrasing, hopefully not incorrectly, was why not get the fans attached more to the sport, the, the passion of the sport itself, rather than use the sideshow to pull them in. And I can, I can agree with that at some point, but the fan base of the sport is changing and growing massively. New audiences, new markets. So I think there is a, a a place there to appeal to the, you know, the, the show of the whole thing and use that as a, hey, wasn't that amazing last year? Yes, we'll go back to Vegas. And at the end of the day, it did produce some pretty good racing, which I was, I was a little bit surprised by. I was expecting it to be just another kind of soulless street circuit. But at the end of the day, we had the long straights, which made it good for overtaking. And I think the, the bottom line over the, under the entire thing is, you had somebody racing the Red Bulls this weekend, mm. which was good. And then you had, you know, uh, the Mercedes out of position going up through qualifying. You had Checo out of position at the start. So there were lots of threads to pull on. It was a chaotic weekend. So you did have people out of pace order mm. in qualifying. That makes a good race usually. And safety cars never hurt. 
Yeah. Safety course never hurt. Always helps. I'm going to pick up on a couple of those topics in just just a minute on the on the racing side of it as well. But you mentioned Bernie, even the the cost. I think a three day ticket was eleven thousand two hundred and forty seven dollars. I'm was the figure I was seeing in some places. The uh, the FP two being held basically behind closed doors. Um, so all this this was to do with the contracted hours of security staff, fans escorted off site, uh, and then instead of refunds, the F1 uh, instead offered these merchandise vouchers to, to fans affected. Reminded me a little bit of the, the Belgian Grand Prix in Spa in 2021. I mean, I was at that one as a, as a fan myself and there was no, there was nothing really offered as we know to, to fans after that, after that one. Like, what, what did you make of that? And in terms of the F1 themselves, apologies don't seem to be their strong suit, I think is the, the take of a lot of fans coming out of the weekend. Yeah, and I, I get it. You know, I understand, I think everyone at F1 um, regrets, for want of a better word, you know, what happened and definitely could have done better. And particularly in this case, from the people I speak to, it seems like, yeah, and like I say, when I walked around earlier in the day, there was loads of security, there was loads of people to guide you where you were going, there was loads of people ready. And I think they'd just not envisaged having to extend it by two and a half hours. So all those people just ran out of hours at the end of the night. So that's definitely something that they'll change in the past. That's pretty exceptional, the circumstances we ended up in, but that's a bit of an oversight probably that they didn't, you know, there wasn't that scope at the end of the day. Mm. Um and then I can get it, you know, from a legal standpoint, why there's not a direct apology, because then they they have to, you know, legally you have to sort of say what you want to do then to correct what you're wrongdoing. So I get both sides of it. I would be pretty frustrated if it was me. Um, but then I would have never been fit to afford the money to go and sit there. So <laughs> there's two sides. But it's like um, these new street circuits, there's always a risk of this happen. You know, fundamentally, what should have happened is more should have been done to ensure that the circuit was in condition to run. You know, and just thinking off the top of my head, we have loads of tests to make sure, you know, we do pull-down tests on the rear wing to make sure that it's not going to collapse more than it should. Why aren't we doing pull-up tests on manhole covers? You know, there's these sorts of things. There's lots of things that we can do. You might always end up with a freak accident. And it is good that they took the time to put it right. And, you know, in speaking to people post, there was a real fear that we wouldn't run a P2, that we wouldn't get the circuit in condition in time. Um, so I, I really feel for anyone, you know, particularly, like I said, on that flight, lots of people went out there just for the race. So to get all the way out there for the race and not see anything on Friday is, is I would be pretty upset. Yeah, that's a fair point from a fan experience perspective. Like the uh, Blake, the the incident, the the manhole incident, or water valve incident, whatever it was that that Bernie mentions with the uh, Carlos Sainz's car. Um, like, what did you make of that? Because a lot of people who weren't F one fans were kind of lumping in then and saying, "Well, this is this is a disaster. How can this happen on an F one track?" But I guess what people don't realise in a street circuit, I guess the roads are opened. You know, earlier that day, these things do happen. The downforce in the car can cause incidents like this to happen. But it it, it was a messy one, but something that I guess can happen and, and pick, go, I guess, go through the cracks sometimes. Yeah, but I mean, we've even seen issues with drain covers and manhole covers at permanent circuits. Malaysia, um, some years past, had a, a drain cover that came up somewhere. Yeah. So these things do happen. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's one of those things. It's, it's one of those unfortunate things. But like exactly to Bernie's point, it's like if you're certifying a new street circuit and there are manhole or drain covers on that circuit, can you not build a test apparatus to check that those things are structurally sound? Because you can probably guess with the factor of safety, what kind of 
pressure the underbodies of the cars are generating. Mm. Make sure that all of those drain covers have to pass that. And if you, you know, I think there's a little bit more work and they're just kind of like, let's build a street circuit. And to be fair, they did a pretty damn good job in the end. And that was very unfortunate. Yeah, hundred percent. We'll get your thought then, Blake, on the on both of you on on the on the circuit itself, because for a first year, all that stuff aside, the celebrity, the parades, the the uh, this, the manhole cover, all the incidents that were happening. Ultimately, we had, as you said earlier, Blake, a pretty epic race. So, how how will this go down as as a circuit going forward? Because you mentioned the straights, the low speed corners, a uh, lot of overtaking opportunities. So, ultimately, uh, I guess a successful first run. I'd say so. Yeah, I was I was pretty happy with it. I just the only thing I've got is unless you zoom out away from the track to see, you know, the strip, the sights, you know, the the sphere, it could be any other street track. And I and I guess that's fair, but the problem is now we have a lot of street tracks. So there was no corner or sequence of corners that I felt particularly interesting or exciting. It was kind of here's a racing track in a city. But if it produces good races, it probably makes bigger questions like, what's Miami? Where does Miami fit into this? Because that's been relatively uh, relatively underwhelming, I think, in terms of the scheme of things. We've got Singapore's, we've got Vegas now. What are we what's where what gap is Miami filling in the calendar rather than a parking lot around a football stadium? Mm. Where will it, where will it rank? Bernie, in terms of the street circuits now uh, after the first one, I know it's tough straight away after the the first race at a circuit to to judge it properly. But where do you think it, it it ranks in terms of the street circuits? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting question because lots of people were very negative about it being a street circuit, particularly being a street circuit in America. Um, a lot of you know very very negative comments coming into it. I think there's a lot went into the mix to make this a really interesting street circuit. So the temperatures being one. Um, which meant the drivers were and teams were going up against something that they'd not gone up against for the first year they were going up against it. So that really mixed up the order, I think, a little bit. That's what ultimately gave us our mix of qualifying orders because of the big track improvement stuff. You know, if we were thinking of, I'm not sure how many we, we want to count, but let's say we've got four street targets in there. You've got Singapore, Baku, this one, and Monaco. Am I missing anything there? Is that the four Jeddah, maybe? Jeddah isn't, is, isn't. Yeah, true. I forgot about Jeddah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, one of the things is when you say, when you when you come out and you say you're very negative about street circuits because they're not permanent circuits so they don't have the big Mexican corners that you have, you know, did Vegas bring more than Monaco brings? You know, Monaco brings a lot of history with it, but definitely the reason was a hell of a lot better here than we see in Monaco generally, um, in my opinion. So, it's, it's really interesting and it's going to be, the big thing is what they do with it going forward. Do they change the time of year to change the temperatures? Do they change the time of day to change the temperatures or to make it easier for, for the people on the ground? Um, I think if they made it a warmer street track, it may not be so interesting mm -hmm. in terms of the, there's a lot of management of the tyres. It made some of the safety car warm-ups more interesting. It definitely made turn, potentially made turn one very interesting on the opening lap. So there's a lot. There's a lot to pick through where actually the split lies. Mm. The the Charlotte Claire Sergio Perez battle was one of the the key factors out of this race and one of the, the more interesting talking points. I know Blake, you've done a a really interesting study, statistical study, and overview on on, on this battle in particular. Um, uh, people can get that on your on your website as well. Um, uh, certainly search your, your Twitter so you'll get Blake at, at B or, or 
AKE, and you'll find all that. But the um, that battle was 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 fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was it was really interesting because you had kind of Checo on the higher downforce of him and Max. We're talking a subtle offset between them, so he had a little bit more a little bit more da- grip, a little bit more drag. Uh, Leclerc being on the faster end as well, not hugely different, but different enough to make a huge impact on his ability to. You know, if he, he's losing time following through the corners to close up on the straights. But it was it was just one of those battles, the fact that we did have a back and forth. I'm not really... Do we see many of those this season? Where once you're overtaken, you're, you know, you're back and forth several times over a period of 20 laps. Yeah. And, I, and I think the, the, the bottom line was, I mean, the battle was in, made more interesting on two halves is Leclerc making the mistake, I believe it was, in the breaks into turn 12 or one of the big stops. And then the other one was... Checo didn't seem like he was expecting him to make that move on the last lap, which honestly, anything happening on the last lap gets me excited. I don't, I don't really care what it is. So, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was an enjoyable battle, and I'd like to understand what it was about that battle that allowed us to have several position changes between the same two cars on the same stint. That was for me. How do we get more of that? Mm. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, big time. But it was even like cause to, to listen to Charlotte Claire Bernie afterwards, he was saying, on the other hand, obviously disappointed because he, he really believed that without the, the safety car, the win was was possibly there for Ferrari. I mean, it felt like they got all of their, their race strategy fairly spot on, the tyre strategy fairly spot on. Like, was there much more they could have done to, to move up a place? Um, from a Ferrari side, I don't, I don't think so. I think that Leclerc is maybe a bit optimistic to mm. think that without the safety car he could have won the race because he asked for stop and stopped again but his tyres weren't that old at the point that he stopped so I think potentially the car had the pace either way to do it you know when you look at it in the cold light of day the point for stop and stop Leclerc could have stopped again and still been ahead so there's arguments both ways you know on that safety car Leclerc if when Verstappen's already behind, could have stopped again, and then he would have been a bit further behind Checo, but that's okay. So there's lots that could have been done in, in perfect hindsight, but I don't necessarily, from the quick look at the lap times, the quick look at the race afterwards, I don't think that it was a given that Leclerc was going to win if Verstappen hadn't got the safety car, because I don't think Verstappen would have stopped again. And I don't think his pace would have been poor enough at the end of the race to not be able to take the position. But mm. let's see. We we don't know. Um, but I, in terms of, you know, I think all the drivers went in or most of the drivers went into that race with the two sets of hards, which proved to be important for those that were able to take that second safety car. Um, so I don't think there was mistakes necessarily from Ferrari's side. I just think they were in a better position pace-wise to take it to Red Bull. The the tire graining issue, Bernie. I mean, maybe explain this one to to F one fans, the the less ardent F one fans who are coming to maybe watch that the F one at the weekend for the first time or or for the first time this season. Maybe what what impact did that have? Because it, it kept being mentioned in Vegas as a, as a, a track that was quite heavy on tire graining. Yeah, sure. So if you think of the tire that's on your normal road car, there's temperature in the inside of the tyre and an F1 that tends to come from the rim and the brakes that's what's building up sort of like a bulk temperature we call it within the tyre but the internal temperature obviously the track is in a way providing temperature to the outside of the tyre and Vegas as we know the track was very very cold now the balance between that surface temperature and the bulk temperature is very important to get these Pirelli tyres working so if you can imagine taking a rubber or a razor on a on a 
piece of paper or a table or whatever and where it sort of like flakes off almost like scrubs off that's what graining is so it's sort of peeling away the rubber rather than wearing it down evenly and that graining loses ultimately loses depth on the tire and degs the tire much at a higher rate than normal and that's where you see the degradation coming in and that's where you see drivers trying to really manage the tire initially so manage those two temperatures in order to protect from that grain and initially because once it starts and it just sometimes just escalates away and that's the issue in Vegas it's the balance between the internal temperature of the tire and the external temperature of the tire and that's very crucial in these Pirelli tires that's why we see the soft you know for example because it's it's like a softer rubber it mm. greens easier that's why we've seen the soft not be used effectively so there's many reasons why it was an issue in Vegas and it was about teams drivers trying to get on top of it and trying to get on top of it through a variety of different fuel loads a variety of different either trying to attack for position or defend for position um, and sometimes that's where we've seen as you start to wear down the tire a little bit that the hard tire gets faster and faster and faster at the end because actually the balance is much better between the two things um, I described it to someone as having like a thick duvet on like the thinner the duvet gets the more balance there is between the inside mm. and the outside so it's, it's those sorts of things that are about that are really crucial and that balance is why you've got like loads of tire engineers in each of the garages trying to keep on top of what the drivers are doing at each point like Blake when, from your work even uh, previously with Red Bull uh, as performance engineer like those sorts of things the likes of tire graining and stuff how familiar can, can you be before you, you go to a circuit for the, for the first time as as Las Vegas was at the weekend do you, do you not know until say FP1 FP2 qualifying how significant certain issues like graining are going to be or, or can you have a fair idea I think you can predict them but so many times you are just reacting to them if you get them and then once you observe them you get it but you can do any number of tire simulations before an event and indeed predict the imbalance between, you know, the bulk and the surface temperature at any point. But are there specific nuances of the, you know, the, the different types of roughness of the circuit, the, the micro roughness, the, the macro roughness, the stone size or how grippy the tarmac is. I think it's one of those things like rather than spending a billion years trying to predict it, understanding the tools that you have in your toolbox to combat it, if you observe it, because, yeah. And I think, you know, going into the event, people thought two weeks out, the forecast was for five to six degrees ambient temperature. We ended up having about 15 degrees, but that's still very cold for these tires to operate. And you have a huge, uh, it, realistically, when the tire's rolling down the straight, you're taking temperature out of the tire into the tarmac as it rolls around at a very, very high rate, especially when your surface temperature is like 15 degrees in the race mm. rather than some tracks for, you know, 30, 40, 50 degrees track. The, the, the rate at which you're losing temperature on the straights is huge. Hence, Leclerc was talking even, he's like, both the front runners were like, tell the safety car to go faster on the straights. We're bleeding so much temperature here. It's it's going to be a sketch. Mm. So I yeah. think, yeah, you, 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 you can predict that it might happen, but certainly that it happens, difficult. Because you saw Verstappen deal with quite a bit of graining early in his uh, first stint. Leclerc, Ferrari typically quite abusive on the tires. He had one of the longest first stints out there, pretty much. And it was just like, okay, something's different. At the same time, we, we had Ocon and Gasly kind of on the same strategy. Yeah. And Ocon's, Ocon goes out and smashes the tires immediately. And Gasly's engineer was like, all right, bring these in easily. Funny enough, 
you know, co- contrary to what we've all just said, Gasly dies a death at the end of the race and falls completely off despite having been much more gentle bringing those tires in. So there's a, there's a little bit of chaos and uncertainty. And um, those are the kind of things after you observe them, you go back and try to understand them so you don't make the same mistake again. Yeah, for sure. Chaos was certainly one word to describe it. We'll pick up on a few bits of those things, guys. We take a very, very short ad break here on the F1 pod. Episode 19 here on Off the Ball. We're live weekly between now and the end of the season, of course. There's only one episode left after this on Wednesdays in the F1 pod podcast feed and the Off the Ball daily podcast feed as well, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with Bernie Collins and Blake Hensie in just a sec. Hello, Shane Hannon here, the host of the F1 pod on Off The Ball, which is available every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. I did want to take a quick moment to mention our sponsors of the F1 pod, Chicago Town Pizza. And sure, when you're watching the Grand Prix action across the weekend, why not enjoy it with a pepperoni Chicago Town stuffed crust pizza? It's takeaway taste at home. It's the F1 pod from Off The Ball with thanks to Chicago Town Takeaway's unique fresh dough pizza. Yeah, we go to town on it. Now, without further ado, the F1 pod. The F1 pod on Off The Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula One, yeah, we go to town on it. Yeah, you're very welcome back to episode 19 of the F1 pod on Off The Ball. Shane Hannon here with you for the next little while. Uh, We're diving deep on the Las Vegas Grand Prix and looking ahead, of course, to the Abu Dhabi season finale this coming weekend with Bernie Collins, the former head of race strategy for the Aston Martin Formula One team, and Blake Hensley, the former F1 performance engineer with Red Bull Racing as well. Uh, Bernie, I guess we we, we touched on on Checo and uh, and his battle with Charlotte Clare in Vegas at the weekend. I mean, he, he seems to be back in form by all accounts. There's there are no more real uh, rumours starting about, about his future with the Red Bull team. Uh, but then there's the, the argument on the other side that his last lap defence, uh, and we saw it in Brazil as well a couple of weeks ago, maybe needs to improve it a tad. Yeah, I think it's surprising really, like Blake said it earlier, that um, maybe wasn't expecting it. Whereas if you've got someone of Charlotte Clare's stature behind you, you sort of have to expect on the last lap that he's going to definitely give it a go, particularly considering, you know, the championship battle that they are in with Mercedes. Um, so there's a lot going on there, I think. It's good that he secured the P2, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes in Abu Dhabi because that's sort of a little thing off his shoulders. At least he can go in Abu Dhabi and it's, you know, there's no risk to either the constructors or the drivers' championships now. He's obviously really good at street circuits, and um, that's a renowned thing. So this circuit potentially suited him from that side of things as well. So I think Abu Dhabi will be interested in having a strong race in Abu Dhabi for everyone on the grid is really important because if you've had a difficult year, finishing the year nicely, finishing the year well, takes a lot off your mind going into the winter season, and he needs a strong winter season to get in that car next year, I think. Mm, for sure. The the McLaren performance at the weekend, Blake, how did you assess it? Of course, the, the uh, fairly terrifying look in Lando Norris incident. Luckily, he's uh, he seems to be okay. Um, but then Piastri, considering what happened in, in, in qualifying to him, a really, really good performance in the race itself. So, I mean, if you're a McLaren this week, what, what how do you assess that weekend just gone? Well, the first thing I noticed is in, in the broadcast, you know, I think it was during Q2, Zach Brown was on the radio talking to them and he's saying, you know, we kind of expected not to be great here and qualifying and so on. But you look at their qualifying performance and it was in terms of gap to the front, that was their worst qualifying of the season. So I felt like that was kind of just trying to politely downplay that they had an absolutely terrible qualifying session and completely misread the tire prep situation because those, those cold temperatures will catch you out. You saw a huge split across the grid of if you're doing one run or two runs in Q1, 
you know, like Bernie said, that bulk temperature, which helps you generate the grip. Do you stay out and keep pushing on that tire to tire, start building up the stress and temperature in the beginning of the tire versus losing out grip from so many laps on that tire? I think they were not prepared for qualifying and they got had over completely. But the fact that their car in the race was, I, I said maybe third team fastest, but they were definitely third, fourth tied because there was Red Bull Ferrari. And then it was kind of hard to tell where Aston Martin and Mercedes were in race pace because they did seem slightly faster than the Alpine, but they were behind them. Mm. And I think looking at Piastri's clean air laps, even before fitting the medium at the end, he was pretty, he was looking very strong. So that was not a car that was not suited to the track so much as I think they had a really, really bad qualifying and they just tried to brush it under the carpet. I don't think the engineers are uh, taking that brush it under the carpet approach. I think they're going to try to understand that cold street circuit qualifying thing a bit better. But again, they were very, very poor in Miami and that was at the beginning of the season. But, you know, again, uncharacteristically poor, I think. Yeah. Uh, and that Piastri performance, Bernie, like he manages to to get get himself back into the points, which was which was quite impressive. But that decision to to start on hard tires and ultimately had to come in for the for the mediums, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, as we know. But but decisions like that ultimately hurt Piastri. Yeah, I think so. And I think in hindsight, they'll be saying what they could have done better, what you know potentially the start should have been. It didn't look like a bad move at the start of the race from their starting position. I was actually more surprised to see someone like Lance Stroll starting on the soft. I think they'd backed on an early safety car and knowing that the two sets of hards from there. Um, so the hard start tyre at the time didn't look like a poor decision. It was sort of that early stop lap. You know, he stopped around 18, 19, I think. I don't know if that was forced in some way. I can't remember. Maybe Blake knows. But he, he stopped pretty early in the sort of attempted undercut to fit another hard tyre um, and run a very long stint. Whereas actually, if he'd stayed out, might have resulted in a better race from that point. Um, so that the early stop lap was really what set the rest of the race in motion because others that either started hard or fitted a hard in lap one, managed to go all the way to the safety car, which is why they did so well. So, But even then, even at that safety car, that second safety car, I think that was maybe too early to fit a medium. Mm. So the hard start tire, just with how the safety cars fell, didn't work out the best strategy um, for a whole host of reasons. Um, so in hindsight, yes, they should have started on a different tire, potentially, but they need to look at why they made the decisions at the time. And I don't think you can just base it on safety cars, but a lot of other people at a street circuit like this with the cold temperatures had backed on early safety cars. And we've had lots of street circuit events where early safety cars have definitely been the way that it's fallen. That battle for second place in the constructor standings all of a sudden, Blake, is is really, really heating up. I think it's only four points down uh, to, between uh, Mercedes and Ferrari heading into Abu Dhabi. Um, Toto Wolff's uh, quotes after the race were, were quite interesting. He said, a bad race, which summarises our season, a quick card that is able to fight for a podium. Lewis was doing Leclerc's times when in free air, but then obviously was involved in two accidents. And then George with Max, you can't win like that. You can't be in the front. I think the situation with Max was unfortunate. Uh, probably fair assessment enough from 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 Toto there. Yeah, I, th I think so. And at the end of the day, when when you like th that's the thing going back to some of these types of circuits, like your Monaco's and everything else, you have to do to to, to enable to have a season like like Max has had in the Red Bull. You have to do everything well every time, qualify well, race well, avoid you know avoid incidents and stuff like that. And yeah, it was unfortunate for both, honestly. 
Both of them had a really unlucky race. The Piastri wheel bang with Hamilton, that that tire going down, that was that was unfortunate. George just not seeing Max there. Max making a, a strong move at a place where you don't expect to be overtaken. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a good summary of it. But I mean, Hamilton's been insanely consistent. The only thing is, more often than not, Mercedes have had those hiccups in qualifying with both cars, not just one of them, which I think is is one of the factors in that if you look at the whole season. But that that comes down to potentially a difficult car, struggling to put it in the right window all the time, and then getting caught out on your single lap performance. And then usually they race well. It yeah. Because it feels like in the first half of the season, Bernie, we were talking a lot about how Mercedes just had the number on Ferrari for a lot of for a lot, a lot of the portions of the of the season, and then the second half of the season comes around and Ferrari all of a sudden are are really really pushing them. And and you see moments at the weekend like and, and Hamilton, as, as Blake says, has been in good form and it was a great overtake on on Logan Sargent even at the weekend on Turn Seventeen. Um, but it just there's something missing there with with the team, isn't there? Yeah, and they've been very up and down. They're not the only team to be very up and down mm. this year, but they have been very up and down. There's been parts of the season where they're not fit to challenge at all, um, and then parts of the season where they should be fit to challenge, but like Blake says, just put themselves in the wrong starting position to do that, or, you know, instance throughout the race. And, you know, what Toto said is totally right. To to win F1, and people sort of look at Verstappen and think it's pretty easy, but... It's not just a good car. You need a good car. You need a good driver. You need to be taking the risks where they're valuable and just really calculating every decision that you make because you will be quite heavily punished. And in this part of the season, for them, when the race with Ferrari, any DNF, any mistake is just so crucial. You know, four points is nothing. Mm. Um, so with the next race, it's going to be really interesting all to play for for the, both teams. We should, Bernie, touch on Esteban Ocon. We've been, his name's been mentioned, but um, I mean, a really, really impressive race. I think it's his best finish since his, uh, his podium in Monaco. Um, and a second half of the season, again, just has not been been very good. So this this result kind of came out, came out of nowhere, um, but a, a lot of moves. Yeah, very, su- very surprising result for a few people, really, at the end. So Ocon and, and Stroll being yeah. the two that probably stand out in the top 10. Um, and like Blake said earlier, very similar um, strategy to Gasly stopped three laps later than Gasly I spent a bit of time going going through it this week um, so very very different but slightly different driving style for Ocon throughout that second stint um, even in the first stint you know Gasly was started P4 obviously really you know wants to do well I sort of expected he would finish very well he was one of the people I was thinking going into the race you know might might be on for a podium if he can pull it all together Um but he pushed really hard behind Russell to try and get the position, really damages his tyres doing that, then has to stop a bit earlier than Ocon. So the race just gets away from you. Whereas Ocon went into it, very calm approach actually, very steady first few laps in the opening stint, very easy on the tyres, fit to defend from the guys behind, but not trying to keep up with Gasly, just let him go. But then much, much quicker at the end of that first stint, which allows him to extend a little bit, three laps. And it's easy to say three laps and think that's nothing, but actually on a 30-lap stint, that's 10%. So it's like, it's pretty big amount, really. Mm. Um, and then in the second stint, just some some really good driving, I think, from him. Some good overtakes, like you say. 
the battle with Gasly, I'm sure there's a lot of people on the pit wall sort of <laughs> hoping for the best out of that one. And then eventually they're told to hold positions. But at the point where, where Gasly's lap times are already suffering, so really good drive from Ocon. And I think he'd be really happy with that, you know, um, great way to finish the season if he can keep that up in, in Abu Dhabi. The, the Lance Stroll one is interesting, Blake, isn't it? Because he he's had such a, again, up and down, I guess, season you could describe it. There was a slow tyre change at one point at the weekend in Vegas. Um, and that, that speed that we saw in the Aston Martin car at the start of the year just hasn't really kept up. The consistency maybe hasn't been there. But, but Lance has probably mm. silenced some doubters with his performances of late. Yeah, and I think if you look back to last season, he was very good at race starts. Statistically, he did very strong race start performances in terms of not only, you know, the clutch procedures and everything else. And some of those, even when he missed those, he would still often qualifying slightly back, be able to keep his, keep his head clear and navigate chaos. Like happened today, Fernando uncharacteristically sending it sideways into turn one. We don't see that often, but I, I th I've always said Lance is, is super reasonable is I don't think he's going to win any world championships, not in this current form, but at the same time, when the car got really bad in the middle of the season for Aston as well, Lance Lance was far, far, far away from Fernando. And I think that just goes to to Fernando's exceptional characteristics as a, a, a top Formula 1 driver. He can deal with a bunch of different stuff, whereas Lance may not be so resilient to that. But Lance, an awesome race, keeping his nose clean, going from, what was it, P19 to P5? Mm. There's a, a little bit of an unsung during the broadcast as well. I don't remember hearing too much about him, but he absolutely smashed it. Yeah. It absolutely stayed out of any sort of trouble and just drove a great race. The the driver of the day, guys. Like for for you, who are the, who are the drivers of the day? Start with you, Bernie. Maybe because right, as we said, it was, <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't start with me. <laughs> but it was one of those race weekends. Sometimes it's really really obvious. But this this it appeared to me as like one of those weekends where there could have been a handful. Yeah. So I'm obviously biased, and I think there was some mistakes in there, but. Any of those people that came from the back, so the sort of three being Checo, Ocon and Stroll, they all had great races to come from the back, a lot of overtakes. Some of it was luck in there, some of it was about getting the second safety car, but people like Carlos Sainz didn't come through where Checo did. So there's there's merits in both of that. You know, obviously the two at the front, like Claire and Verstappen run a fantastic race as well, but those people that were fit to make it work coming through from the back when some others around them didn't was, was very interesting to me. You know, like Hamilton's got to be looking at Checo coming through and thinking, well, I should have been able to do that with just a slightly cleaner race or whatever. Mm. So they're sort of ones, I'm not giving you a straight answer, but they're <laughs> roughly where I'd be thinking. Yeah, the, the the fan vote, Blake, it's hard to disagree with that, I guess. Charlotte Claire, 21.6% of the vote, topping, topping at Perez, 19.1%. Oscar Piastri in third, 13.4%. Then you had Verstappen and uh, Hamilton below him. It, it, it probably was like a day where Leclerc stood up. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, like, to, to be fair, Leclerc had one mistake in the race. That, that was apparent. Max also had one mistake in the race going into turn one. That was, that was clearly not... Um, on, but at the same time, I th I still think probably I I like Ocon's drive. You know, mm. we didn't get to see too much of it on the, the broadcast, but that car has been absolutely characteristically nowhere for quite a bit, very inconsistent and struggling. And to go from P sixteen and on the same strategy outshine your teammate like that, 
But yeah. I, I think it's a very it's a very fair point that you had signs on a similar strategy to quite a few others, and he just wasn't able to make it work this weekend. So, but yeah, I, I've as 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 hard of a time as I give Akon for some of his shenanigans. I think he drove an absolutely brilliant race, as as well as many others. Yeah. Hard to disagree, guys. We, we we should touch on on Abu Dhabi as well ahead of this weekend. Uh, Bernie, what, what what can we expect? I mean, from a race strategy perspective, what sort of things are our teams looking at here? I guess it's a tight track, warm conditions. Yeah, it's very very different to the last track we've had in terms of the tire operating conditions. Um, Abu Dhabi, because some of the changes they made a few years ago has become easier to overtake, if anything. Mm. Um, so we can see overtakes happening there. So you can see a split of strategies. Um, it always, like, aside from the reason, it always is a great feel Abu Dhabi last race of the year. It's nice and warm, slightly later sessions. It's quite relaxing one to go to. So I think, you know, the teams will really benefit from that after what was a very, very tough Las Vegas weekend. And the battles, some of the battles that we have, like Blake touched on, very interesting down the field. You know, you've got that battle for um, the Constructors' Championship between Ferrari and Mercedes. You've got 11 points between McLaren and Aston Martin. You've got, I think it's three drivers within five points between third and fifth in the championship or something. There's Mm -hmm. some very, very tight battles. So each driver will be going into it and maybe it won't always be obvious to us, but they'll have their own individual battle that they're thinking of, their own tally that they're trying to get out of that race. So it's going to be very interesting across a few things, not not for the win, as we know that's been done for a while, but um, there's a lot going on behind that. Interestingly, so just looking at the results, Blake, from last year at Abu Dhabi, you had, of course, Verstappen winning eight seconds from uh, from Charlotte Clare, Perez uh, completing the podium with Carlos Sainz in fourth. Uh, but listen to Charlotte Clare talking after the race at the weekend, he was speaking about Abu Dhabi and he said, uh, whenever it's warmer, we do struggle more, so it doesn't give me any more confidence for the future because Abu Dhabi is going to be very different compared to here, here being Las Vegas. How do you see... How do you see these top teams faring in, in, in Abu Dhabi and what do you expect to, to, to notice, I guess, even compared to last year at the track? That's a really, really tough one because I feel like a lot of, of teams have, have grown and changed a lot since last year. Characteristically, mm. I, I think 100% we see when the, when the track temperature is hotter, uh, the fries do tend to struggle. And the one thing looking back through my notes from last season was you, you had Max and Charles doing a one-stop where they did basically a 40-lap stint on the, um, the harder tire and everybody else kind of on a two-stop. But the whole race was like, it was definitely one of those super saver tire management races where it's just look after the tires and make the strategy work. Whatever happens, I hope we don't get that again because that is, I don't know, that's not too thrilling to me. No, I'm almost afraid to ask for the podium predictions uh, given... How perfect it was last week! Like Blake, are you gonna double or double or quits on the on the Las Vegas team, or are you just gonna? I'm quits, man. <laughs> I'm safe, man. I totally understand. <laughs> like Bernie, do you wanna do you wanna lump it? And I guess if you get it right or get any of them right, we'll we'll, uh, we'll play the clip. But um, there's no pressure well, on it. I'm not gonna go for the the podium, but I'm gonna predict a return to the podium. I think that McLaren should get themselves back on the podium right. this weekend. They've they've got to aim to do that. I think they've got. Big pressure to get um, to beat Aston at this stage, um, and this track should suit them more. There's none of those sort of low speed corners or less of the sort of low speed stuff. It's hotter temperature, so I think this track will suit McLaren a bit more than the previous ones. So 
let's see one of those guys back on the podium. Mm, interesting. Probably alongside the normal, the normal others. <laughs> the usual suspects. Yeah, I might yeah. go. I might kind of go similar lines. Max signs, and I had uh, I had Lance Stroll in there because confidence is key in F one. But uh, you know what? Because of what you said, Bernie, I'm going to change it to Oscar Piastri uh, to <laughs> finish out that podium. You've convinced me, um, guys. Before we finish, I, like I was lucky enough a couple of weeks ago to chat to Keanu Reeves and, and Jensen Button for the this new Braun. Uh, series on Disney Plus, which is amazing, and uh, like I don't know if you've managed to see it yet, either of you. But even just that whole Braun story, Ross Braun story, you know, buying the the team for a pound from from Honda. Uh, I mean, it might start with you, Blake, on this because it's just. I mean, I can see why Keanu was drawn to the subject in the first place. It's amazing. I, I, that is such a cool experience for you as well. And I I binged the series last week, and I have to say, it was one of the best pieces of motorsport documentary that I've ever watched. Keanu was so genuine, authentic. Quirky as always, and and invested in the, in the project and the story, and it was one of those stories that doesn't need any embellishing at all. Mm. It actually happened, and that's kind of you know my roots of getting interested in wanting to be a motorsport engineer was 2008, 2009. So I remember that quite well. And the that underdog story was phenomenal. The storytelling's great. The the way it's filmed, the way it's shot, it's so thoughtful. And honestly, um, that. You know, there's a place for Drive to Survive is great to capture new audiences that may not have that much of an attachment to the sport, but for the people that are already kind of captured by that, or maybe you need a little bit of something different or a storytelling rather than drama. Holy crap. It was, it was phenomenal. Yeah, I, I can't rate it high enough. Yeah. The story just has everything, Bernie, not, not just from a documentary sense, but even just, it reminded me of the, of the brilliance of Jensen Button as well. And that battle he had with his, with Rubens Barrichello, even his own teammate, like, it's just one of those Hollywood stories and it was just right that it went on, on the big screen. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I was lucky enough, I was obviously working in, in Mexico with JB and he was sort of very positive about it all and mm. it was just getting finalised and he just sort of finished seeing it himself and stuff at that stage. So it, I started to watch it last night. I watched one episode before sleep. Mm-hmm. Deprivation got the better of me. <laughs> so I have more to come. Hopefully I'm excited now that Blake's so positive about the rest of it. But yeah, and I think it's really good. Like at the moment, you know, there's a big hype around F1, which has been brought from the drive to survive. But it's nice that we're getting these historical things from it that those drive to survive people can watch and mm. catch up almost on the story and excitement. You know, we're getting this, we're getting the Ferrari movie later in the year or early next year. I can't remember when that's coming out. Um, you know, there's obviously lots of things happening in order to try and fill in the blanks, fill in the gaps, fill in some of the history. And that's quite interesting, I think, and quite good for the overall knowledge base because it's a bit of an unbelievable story. And it's great that it's like going to be sort of documented quite well or you know at least from the first one looks like it's going to be documented really well so it's it, that's nice for the new fans to sort of go back and live that experience yeah for sure here here uh, Bernie will you be in uh, in Abu Dhabi I know you had uh, some you, you fl- delayed flights and all sorts of uh, flying experience I think Delta helped well, you out uh, at when one I was leaving Vegas there was a, sandst- a sandstorm so we got on the flight and then I was like oh we're going to sit here for an hour and then we joined <laughs> some ridiculous plane queue and then I landed in Salt Lake City and had to run from one flight to another. So it was really, like I ran and then I realised there was 26 people on the same connection that were running behind me. So I actually didn't need to run. But yeah, really good. Um, no, thankfully not in Abu Dhabi. As much as I love Abu Dhabi and I would love to be at the beach, I just need some time at home. So <laughs> not going to be in Abu Dhabi. Um, so yeah, wait till next year to see when I next pop up at a track. But sort of 
you know, just to mention, feel for all the guys that stay in Abu Dhabi, then there's a test a few days afterwards. So they will be really looking forward to the Christmas break. Yeah, 100%. Getting back to the family and relaxing for the, for the off-season, 100%. Guys, enjoy the, the, the race this weekend. Bernie Blake, thanks a million as always. Thank Shane. you. Thanks, Shane. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks a million, guys. We've Blake Hensley there, the former performance engineer, of course, with Red Bull, and Bernie Collins, the former head of race strategy with the Aston Martin Formula 1 team. We'll be back on the F1 pod next Wednesday. So that is in reaction, of course, to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. So that's next Wednesday, the 29th of November. Looking back on Abu Dhabi and looking back on the season as a whole. We'll see you then on the F1 pod. Good luck. The F1 pod on Off the Ball with Chicago Town Pizza. Formula 1? Yeah, we go to town on it.